0: Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 123, and today's guest is Nitsan Cher, co founder and CEO at Wevo. Nissan was early in the mobile world that we live in now. I'm talking about a pre-iPhone era when he was part of the team that was figuring out the early mobile strategy for both Microsoft and Skype. He's a serial entrepreneur and his latest startup is called Wevo. You might be familiar with A-B testing after your website is launched. Well, Wevo is taking a radically different approach by helping companies optimize their website before going live. It does this through artificial intelligence and a proprietary behavioral model, which generates recommendations that have proven to significantly increase conversion. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Nitsan's background in terms of growing up in Israel and what he learned from being a member of the Israeli Air Force, his experience at Microsoft, which included an interesting story of a mobile strategy session at Bill Gates' house, his time at Skype where he helped the company launch the mobile version of their product, all the details on Wevo, including what led them down the path of starting the company and the value of their platform, what makes a great product manager, advice for founders on starting a consulting firm, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Our job board has over 4,500 positions listed, and we just went through a redesign of our job listings. It is a much cleaner design, and you'll find highly relevant information on each listing, like employee testimonials, photos, video, and the latest featured story from VentureFizz. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash jobs to check it out. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Nitsan. Nitsan, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me uh, so I, I just you know we've got a lot to talk about so we're just gonna jump right in so um, you know you as a child so like w- where'd you grow up what were you like you know were you definitely someone that was more what you would consider uh, entrepreneurial type of person or you know if you could just kind of lay down the foundation that'd be great sure sure absolutely glad to share so I was born in Israel in a city called Haifa uh,
1: in the northern part to South African parents um, Growing up, probably one of the biggest, uh, most, uh, the biggest memory I have is my dad's workshop. Uh, we used to build there everything from, from furniture to electronic stuff. Uh, it, it always seemed to have all the gizmos in the world to me. Uh, and what I'd spend a lot of, a lot of hours there, uh. One of, one of the triumphant ones was a was a treehouse that we built uh, uh, that that we packed with all the, the best stuff we could we could think of building together. Um, after uh, growing up uh, into into high school, I joined the student body. Uh, And and got to like to organize uh, events and activities. Uh, So headed up uh, the school body and then became the young mayor of the city, heading up uh, the rest of the school activities as well. Uh, So
0: I think uh, a a leader leadership is what I'm gathering out of this
1: early on. Early on. I I enjoyed it. Getting stuff happening and getting stuff moving was was a passion early on.
0: And then, you know, as part of, you know, growing up in Israel, you spent time in in their military forces. You were part of the Israeli Air Force. So what do you think that experience taught you? Yeah, so, so I joined um, uh, a,
1: pro, a fairly unique program in the military. Um, the military offers a number of people the opportunity to, to study before you actually start your military. So I completed my engineering degree in the Technion uh, in the summer when everybody was on the beach. Uh, I did uh, basic training and then officer's course. Um, and then when I joined the Air Force, uh, did a number of positions, but then ultimately joined a, a, a special task force that was readying the Air Force for uh, intense and longer uh, durations and operations. Um, it, it was learning very quickly how to operate a very large organization uh, with thousands of people, um, you know, the, the fairly advanced technology between the fighter jets and, and what goes with them, uh, and complicated operations. This was about learning the nitty-gritty of, of you plan, you plan again, you try it out once, you try it out another Um, and I think that, that drilled into me, uh, the operations needed, I think in all future roles thereafter.
0: No. So just to take a step deeper on that. So you were actually like leading, uh, cross-functional teams that were building out the systems for like fighter jets and things like that.
1: Yeah, it was on two fronts. So one, it was, um, on the operational side of, of maintenance of these, uh, of these, uh, fighter jets. And later on, it was readiness, readiness for larger scale operations and making sure that those are as smooth as fast transition, uh, the right people, the right equipment is in the right place at the right time, and making sure that the Air Force can sustain long durations of that operation.
0: So what do you you think that experience, you know, kind of taught you before, you know, entering, cause from there you, you went to B school at HBS, right? Uh,
1: yeah, I had a quick stopover at a startup. Um, I think that the air force, the biggest learning I probably had in the air force is how important the function of planning is. Uh, it's. We'll talk about this and, and how uh, our current day activity is all about experimentation, um, but moving large groups of, of of people, having a clear mission stated, uh, rallying the troops literally in this case, uh, and leveraging. Uh, Basically, a multidisciplinary team. So people from from very different backgrounds into creating the best solution possible and the competitive advantage. I think those are some of the core things that the Air Force teaches you really, really well. Yeah. Um so so right after when I graduated from the Air Force, uh I joined a, a startup uh by the name of Brightcom uh in the in the Bluetooth space. Um and and uh that that's where my passion was set for startups. I knew, okay, this is this is where I want to do. We could move we could move faster, we could get things uh done in much shorter timelines, and and we can blaze blaze the trail, right? That nobody had built a product like that before. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, uh, and they had much more, they had much more stuff than my dad's workshop. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so, so I had a really nice experience at, at Brightcom. Uh, we sold the company and, and I decided, uh, the time, the time was right for HBS.
0: And what, what led you down the path of, uh, you know, getting your MBA and what was the experience like at HBS? Sure. So, so
1: I knew I felt, uh, growing up in the in Israel, in the Air Force, uh, in one startup in Israel, I felt I wanted to expand my knowledge of, of other people's experience, like what works, what doesn't work, what's being tried out there. Um, learning from students, from professors, um, and, and honestly also you know, from just the case study itself, learning from what other people did and experience very different from mine and what I previously had. Um, say probably the biggest takeaway from HBS was the network that was developed there the friendships that were created there a lot of my friends till this very day uh, I uh, those friendships started at HBS um, and, and a lot of knowledge that the professors you know passed on both during during sessions and and in the evenings as well
0: so but from there so you, there you went uh, to, to work at Microsoft right yeah uh so on microsoft i
1: i was i was looking for um after hbs an opportunity i can join a this will sound surprising a small team uh and and accelerate this idea of understanding a customer need and turning it into a product uh at the same time i was also an immigrant uh and and needed to find a place that can secure a visa for me for a period of Three to four years was the process at the time of uh, of, of securing the H one B and 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 taking it forward. Um, and Microsoft offered the uh, a solution that that addressed both of those. Uh, one, they were very good at at, uh, at visas, and two, I joined the smallest group at the time within Microsoft, which was the new product group within the mobile team. So we were responsible for coming up with new product ideas and new solutions that leverage the windows embedded it was called at the time operating system
0: so was this um was it hardware or was it software or thinking of both
1: it was both. So we worked um, with, with uh, uh, OEM partners, so Samsung, LG, Epson, uh, a number of different companies to develop new physical products that leverage the, the Windows and, and other software for Microsoft uh, and worked in tandem with those companies to see what the software capabilities that we could bring to their hardware capabilities and
0: develop that together. Um, it, it was a very interesting time. Um, context so this was 2003 so we're going back 16 yeah. years ago uh, so, so yeah so talk about the context of that reality of mobile 15 16 years ago yeah, this is this is mobile
1: phones this is the era of flip phones that you may be familiar with uh, <laughs> and and way before anything anything similar to the iPhone or, or modern-day Android uh, was created um, so just the beginning of applications um, uh, that, that it's like Motorola Razor was that like the hot phone of the time that, that's exactly right that's exactly right um, and, and in addition to, to to putting on more initial applications on the phone we're working to see how we can use similar software to operate other devices uh, uh, and and putting intelligence into the devices so think pre-generation of the Internet of Things and before that term was even coined uh, thinking how to do that so I spent quite 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 a, a large number of uh, days and week in Seoul Korea uh, talking to our friends at Samsung uh, and, and LG um, and, and in China at the time as well, to think about partnerships uh, with uh, a number of companies over there uh, and seeing how best we can use the product. So in that product development, uh, we were looking at opportunities. So a lot of customer research went on what needs, what are people happy with, what are people unhappy with with existing products. Um, uh, met up with uh, Bill Gates at his home to review one of our one of our product ideas, and get his feedback on. There were some super smart people at at Microsoft, and and the process of understanding customer needs uh, was something they were very strong at.
0: Yeah, and I've talked to you know lots of other people that you know built kind of a foundation of working at Microsoft because of their process and able to deliver like complex software at such massive scale. And wait, you said you got to go to Bill Gates' house? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's fascinating. So what was that like? I was, uh, it's, it's not
1: ostentatious. Like it's a, it's a large, uh, comfortable home. Um, it's broken up to a few parts. Um, but, but it was, uh, uh it, it was a nice activity. So, uh, I, I will be benign by saying he's a smart guy. Um, but it was it was a fascinating time there was a lot of feedback uh, given at all levels of the organization to foster new ideas in the organization
0: right because I wanted to talk about um, you know these foundational years for Microsoft in in mobile because recently you know because the timeless discussion was great because Bill Gates just recently like literally over the past month made a a statement saying his biggest regret was losing to Android um, so so where was like mobile within Microsoft of that time frame like was it I mean obviously if you're spending time at Bill Gates house it must have been you know very important strategic for Microsoft even at that point in time
1: no it was it was uh, it was um, he had his eyes focused on that and understanding how big mobile even again before Android before iPhone understanding how big the potential and the opportunity there was but a, a lot of things had to come together to make that work. Um, and and I think th- there was, th- this has been published, there were discussions early on between, uh, back to 2000 and 2000, 2001, 2002 discussions between Nokia uh, and Microsoft partnership, partnering there. And and it came very, very close though. Those discussion broke up and each company went in its own direction. Um, I think that was a milestone of, of things not working together and then the challenge of working with a device manufacturer that's in one place with the one with one culture and approach and a software uh, device a a software manufacturer uh, many miles away um, I think Apple proved that that unifying those two together can be a a much rapid faster way to iterate and to get things right
0: because the iPhone was launched what year 2007. So you know it was still four years from when you started at Microsoft uh, when that was launched. And then um, I would be curious to know when you know Rich Miner and uh, obviously the other co-founders of Android were working on that. Um, but uh, but yeah, a lot uh, had to happen to finally get to that point of the smartphone. And then obviously fast forward 12 years later to what we experience on <laughs> on a device is just insane. Yeah.
1: I worked for uh, for Rich Minor back in 2003 and and when he had started Android, he shot me, out. I was at Microsoft, at, at, at Skype at the time, and he shot me off an email and he said, what do you think about this Android thing? And I said, like, Rich, seriously, you want to go to an operating mobile phone operating system? Are you insane? <laughs> uh, and a few years later, we know what happened with that. Um, but uh, it was it was no easy challenge uh and i think some very smart people worked together to make to put and and rich led by rich to make android the right solution there
0: well and that's a perfect segue so from there you went to to join Skype which was you know totally revolutionizing you know the telecom industry so what, what were you working on there
1: yeah. So, so I got, uh, I got introduced by a mutual friend actually from, from HBS to the founder of Skype to Nicholas and Nicholas at the time had this policy, uh, that lasted throughout the company that you, you're not allowed to use, uh, phones, desk phones or anything like that. You're only allowed to use Skype to make calls. And, uh, and we had our first call when I was at, at Microsoft and I think he said, why don't you come over to our offices and we'll talk more. Anyway, following day, I, I got a plane to London and, uh, walked, into the office, tiny little place in Soho in London, uh, and started working and the rest was history after that. Uh, so I joined to, uh, to basically take Skype that was desktop only and to put it onto mobile phones. Uh, and boy, that is, that is where I learned a team can work fast. Um, and, and it was this culture of, um, one, we have a mission. I thought the Air Force had a mission, or Microsoft had a mission. Like the mission was drilled in over there. We are there to change the way people talk to each other. We are there to make to give the opportunity of the whole world can talk for free. Uh, and we are, uh, you know, the 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 enemy is these big telcos that are charging. If you recall this, right, for international calls, a leg and an arm. Yeah, uh, it was insane what they would charge. Um, and I learned at at Skype, the power of a mission that drives people. Like we were, we were in the office at eight, we were out of the office around midnight. Uh, Got mad because it was London, you had to have the ritual of going down to the bar at uh, the pub at about uh, uh, six, seven PM, but uh, but back to the office to continue work.
0: Um, And what Skype was really good at as well is, you know, they built out, built this, it was a product that worked but they built this brand that just had this viral coefficient to it that companies probably would look at and you know be a case study of today
1: yeah, I think Skype got got three things right. it was one, a product that just worked right um, th- there was a lot of competition out there at the time for. Uh, for messaging and for voice over IP, they weren't, they did not have the first mover advantage, uh, but Skype got it right. You, you, you could start a, a, a Skype conversation. It didn't matter if it was behind a firewall or if the internet connection was low or the microphones weren't great. Skype managed to solve that and make the product work really well. That was ingredient number one. Ingredient number two, they you know we built virality into the product itself, and it's just the nature of the beast, right? You want to encourage your friends uh, to have Skype so so you can talk to them for free, uh, and that lends itself to some products, but in this case, that was absolutely the the driver. And the third is is Skype. We managed to have the customers be the biggest advocates, it ties into virality, but it was tying them behind this mission of the whole world can talk for free. So it wasn't just that you were convincing your friend to do it because so you could talk for free, but it was, we're part of a movement. Uh, and and I think that that was done very successfully, except for, except for having people promote the product for the first few years, there was like zero marketing. Uh, marketing was an afterthought at Skype.
0: Yeah. Like you said, a movement, more of a mission and purpose that today we can all do this together and make, you know, talking abroad for free. So from there you went off and so you spent some time uh, as an EIR at Flybridge and then uh, worked as a COO at another startup, right?
1: yeah yeah so um we sold skype to ebay uh i stayed on about six months later um after that and a lot of us that were were early on in skype uh had left within within six months um and my wife and i were looking for a city that had the combination of of both startup uh and academia and an international feel to it uh feel to it uh and and boston was top of the list uh she had computer completed her PhD in computer science at the time um, and we decided to move back to Boston I was looking to expand the network in Boston and and the team at Flybridge just opened the doors they were they were uh, super generous Uh, they're very kind people very smart people and identifying entrepreneurs Uh, and I just loved their approach to it so Jeff Busgang, that I think you know well David Aronoff uh, and the rest of the team over there very kind through my work at uh, at flybridge uh, identified a company called Mobyvox uh, and and fell in love with that with that idea and mission um, it was bringing additional services to uh, Based on the idea of voice over IP, but bringing additional services to a phone um, for people that didn't have applications and advanced applications at the time. So the lower end phones uh, and bringing it to, to the masses was the idea. Um, joined them as chief operating officer, took a board seat in the company. We, we raised more money uh, and we ultimately sold uh, MobyVox as well. Uh, and that was the genesis of, of High Start Group.
0: And what was High Start Group?
1: So High Start Group was a mechanism for me to test out uh, the idea that ultimately would turn into Wevo. Um, that that the, the germinated while I was at Skype. Uh, so we started to see at Skype this idea. The product was growing very rapidly, and, and things were good. Um, but but as we wanted to add on, you know, more capabilities, we wanted to better service our customers. We wanted to improve the experience further. We found that it was challenging to talk to people in 173 countries across multiple demographic. Uh, groups that were using Skype for for different needs, right? It was the grandmother talking to her grandson on the other side of the world. It was it was business people closing transactions, um, and and it just the tools we had, you know, focus groups or or interviews or surveys. They just didn't cut it. It was too time consuming. It wasn't predictive. Um, uh, and, and we find it very hard to advance that way. So, so that's the germ of the idea was founded, and then. Um And then I knew this this need was out there, right? Because market research has its shortcomings. Uh, A-B testing to test ideas is is very important and good, but is slow and relies on the fact that you have to guess what isn't working right, right? A-B testing isn't a diagnostic tool. It is only a result. It's only a measurement tool. It doesn't tell you what the problem is or why people aren't converting. It tells you A did better than B and and I wanted to put this identifying that that problem I decided to start a consulting firm at the time so I didn't have to raise money but I could rally with my own you know with my own investments uh, try and work on solutions uh, and move freely without the need to develop a whole lot of software and be committed to it Uh, but with a consulting firm you have that flexibility to to change the offering Unfortunately, High Start Group became a success, and that experiment that was supposed to last only for one to two years uh, continued for a few years after that. Um, I was—I do consider myself very lucky because I met my business partner at High Start Group, uh, Janet, and we work—we're working together until this very day, and we co-founded Wevo together uh, based on our experiences together at High Start Group.
0: Right. Cause a lot of what high Star group was doing was helping companies build out product, like almost like a product management function coming in to help out you know, a company's product launch or the early iterations of, of the product.
1: That's exactly right. We identify that, that so many products are launched and are pulled out of the market 90 or 180 days after launch because they failed we said we have to there must be a better way there must be a better way than, than investing all this sweat dollars uh, work uh, into launching a new product and just seeing it die on the fine uh, and, and, and even if the idea might have been the right idea but the implementation was the wrong implementation or the positioning was the wrong positioning dying for the wrong reasons uh, and that's what we were trying to help so High Circuit was focused on the product and then after a few years of working on that and refining the methodology there, uh, we identify that there is a market multiple times the size of product managers uh, called marketers that face the exact same problem. Marketers launch new campaigns, they launch new products, right? They launch new websites and and other materials to promote these products, but too, too often those campaigns fail. And sometimes it's internally driven, sometimes it's an agency. And we see time and time again, right? Just from our experience and in, in, in as consumers on advertising, we see time and time again, a, a large campaign is launched and it fizzles out after, after 30 days, 180 days, what, what it may be, uh, because it wasn't successful. And that's what we set out to change.
0: Well, let's, let's fast forward to what you're up to today. So Wevo conversion, what are the, the details on what you guys are doing?
1: So, so with that idea in mind, we set out to put together a solution that would basically be the first solution in the world to optimize digital experiences before going live. So, rather than the process today that marketers, product managers take um, days, months, sometimes years to optimize online experience, to get the messaging right, uh, to A/B test it, to do all this trial and error, we said. In, in, by, in, this, in this time, we can, with the advent of crowdsourcing technology, AI technology, we can take that process and do it before you go live, without the need for live traffic. And we've been growing very, very fast with that solution that we put together.
0: So how does it work? I mean, it sounds like an amazing idea, but like how does it actually you know, work under the hood? Yeah.
1: So there, there are two main parts to it. The first is a model that we built. Uh, so similar to the concept behind Pandora or Spotify, that you take a song, break it down to components, right? You want to know, they have 250 components that describe a song, and it's how fast it is in the beginning, genre, subgenre, who wrote it, what are people saying on an online, a whole lot of criteria that they have about it. Many of them, by the way, they have people grade the song across those criteria. Uh, And once there's a song that you like, um, they play you in other songs that have a similar digital footprint to that original song. We did a very similar idea just for websites. We take a website, we break it down into its components. We understand um, how clear it is. Do people understand what's on the website? We understand to what extent is the offering there appealing. To what extent is it credible that people believe that the company can actually deliver on that promise? To what extent is the experience driving people to take the action we want? So on and so forth. And, and once we had a measure for each one of those uh, criteria, we started to dive in into deeper and deeper layers of what is causing people to take action. Once that model is built and we understand what it is uh, both emotionally and rationally causing people to take decisions, we could start to uh, then generate recommendations of how to improve the page. So the model was the first phase and scoring it with a combination of crowdsourcing and AI was the second element that came together over here to develop this tool that can predict how well a page is going to do as well as generate their recommendations on how to improve
0: and like, who are the typical customers that, that are using it?
1: So, so currently we work with fortune 1000, uh, are most of our customers. And that's just because that's where we decided to start. Um, you can imagine a product like this would have very broad applicability. Anybody that has a website, anybody that's marketing their product,
0: right, uh, you could have gone SMB. You I mean, you've
1: gone a thousand different directions. That's exactly right. Uh, we are our theory behind it was twofold: one to say, if we get the big logos and the big brand names and they're the ones that are supporting this and using it um, then the rest the rest will want to follow uh, in their footsteps uh, and that has paid off very nicely so we we have now uh, Wells Fargo and Fidelity and Harvard and Intuit and Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, and and adding on a, a, a a large number of of the fortune 1000 to as users of this product uh they're renewing it they're they're enjoying it they're using it now in things that go beyond just web pages Happy to talk about that as well as the product, as they're taking it into new areas as well uh, to optimize before you go live. Um, and then, and now recently we've started to open the product to availability to smaller firms as well, as well as a channel strategy that we've opened up because we realized agencies do this all day, right? Gone gone are the days that an agency can uh, launch a new campaign for Uh, a million dollars, $10 million uh, or more, and hope that it's going to do okay. And if it doesn't do well, oh, sorry, it didn't work too well. Gone are those days. They're they're held to a much higher bar right now. And for them to be able to go in and say, this is what we expect will happen. This is being already uh, pre-tested and and basically reduce the risk for them uh, is a big step forward.
0: So it sounds like there's a lot of defensibility in terms of what you've built. It took years to kind of build out, you know, almost the Pandora-esque of, you know, recognizing different or breaking down the websites. Um, But then there's the crowdsourcing element too. Like, so that, that must have been very involved to build out that piece of the business too.
1: Yeah, so, so there was a build versus buy decision that went on over there. Um, we understood early on that given we want to scale, the potential of scaling this company is, is shall we say, large, given the, the potential of very high demand for optimizing before you go live. Uh, we strategically decided that we are not going to own the crowd in early days. Uh, there are many companies and many solutions circa 2019 that exist that manage crowds, uh, and. We created partnerships with a very large number of these providers that can that can provide us basically the audience we need. So we have access today to over uh, 15 million people in the United States and a similar number internationally that we can pull from and can help us score uh, the model that, that we need for every every page, every email, every video that goes through the system.
0: Now, as you're going to market with this, with some of the first customers like how I'm always fascinated with bringing up product to market and you're you're coming up with this new idea of you know pre-live uh, where they're used to hearing a B testing and all this you know analytics after you launch and what's working what's not so this is a whole new theory so how are you able to you know promote that and land your first customers as buyers Right. Uh, so one I will say it was not easy um,
1: the the secret to it was good friends that were willing to just uh, one stick their neck out on this on this initial idea um, and 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 make introductions to the companies we thought could value this uh, we were very fortunate to have phenomenal advisors early on in the company Uh, Debbie Kleiman, uh, Frank Moss, just to mention two uh, that helped both with introductions and helping us advance the product a lot of feedback went into it a lot of initial customers that told us yes we want this no we don't want that this is value this is not value and and honestly an incredible team that just you know we were driven by this mission of saying there must be a better way to launch products in this world uh, rather than guessing and hoping for the best and iterating endlessly and and that that mission has been driving us for it and, and this team has been creating a lot of lid I, I would love to tell you it's one silver bullet it's not it's many incremental small decisions along the way that ultimately build up this model and build up the product and build up the experience because it has many moving parts to it Uh, but now it's now it's it's scaling very nicely
0: and you talked earlier that you built out you know a consulting firm to help fuel the development of this product so you were able to you know bootstrap it now have you raised any outside capital or what's the plans for future growth and you know scaling the business yeah. So
1: the consulting firm uh, we 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 bootstrapped and that uh, that's, that was the idea behind it. I didn't want to take anybody else's money before I knew I had a product I can run with. Um, uh, in two thousand and January two thousand seventeen, we basically shut down the consulting firm and and incorporated Wevo as a C corp. And starting 2017, and we also shifted to the marketing business rather than into marketers rather than product managers. In 2017, we started to build uh, the AI components of it and the software components of it and making it a, a SaaS product rather than a consulting. So the first year of 2017 was really about building that infrastructure. 2018, we started and beyond, we started selling the product as a SaaS product. Um, so that's at that time we already had taken on external investors, uh, until now it's just been uh, angel investments that we've taken into the company. And what's the size of the team now? Uh, so we're now 12 people, uh, raised, uh, just above $3 million.
0: Great. So you've, you you did spend a lot of time, um, you know, working in as a product person, you know, product manager, or, uh, you know, helping product functions within different organizations. So what's, what do you think makes a great product manager?
1: I'd say the first thing that makes a great product manager is the ability to listen, but not listen in the, I'm opening my ears and I'm listening, but listen to what it is that that customers really need that goes beyond what it is that they're saying um, and the ability to have the insight to understand what it is that they truly need and that goes much deeper and asks those probing questions is is criteria number one in criteria number one when we look for a good product person um, it's the drive and the belief that you can solve really hard problems there are some people that are good at problem solving. There are some people that believe that they're good and can find out with good, uh, that can find out uh, great solutions and creative solutions. But there are very few that have the combination of the both that are good problem solvers and don't stop at the first solution and believe that they, when facing a wall, that they will find a way to go under it or beside it or make it disappear and blow it up or any other solution. But to do the creative, to do something that is truly different, to blaze a trail. and this is a product manager in a startup company, it's very different from a product manager in a larger company. You, you need to have that belief that you're going to find a solution. Uh, and I'd say the third criteria, which is, which is absolutely critical, is the ability to work with through a multidisciplinary team, right? To work with the engineering team to on iteration, to work with the customers, to work with the sales group. Uh, product manager needs to be able to juggle all of that and prioritize correctly.
0: What advice would you give to founders that are trying to um, maybe do something, you know, same idea that you had? Hey, let me build out a consulting business while I have this product idea, or even trying to find a product idea. I've heard kind of that happen too, where you know some of the consulting business drives a productized solution of you know kind of running that business, but also kind of having your eye on a other, you know, more of a product company.
1: Right. Um- say the number one advice I'd give on that point is surround yourself by a by a by a board and it doesn't have to be a board of directors per se it could be your personal board of directors but somebody that you can share your plan with and say I am going to run this consulting firm not for the sake of consulting but for one two three years for the sake of finding Um, this type of product, these are my criteria, this is how I will know if it is something worthwhile pursuing. Have that, put that plan in place of what you want to do and create a system of checks and balances that outside of yourself, somebody can, can hold you to that plan. Because once you get into it and if you're, if you're customer centric and if you want to service and make customers happy, it's very hard to pull back and then look again at the big life mission of what you're trying to do. Um, say my, my wife and I have this, this, this mechanism, right? we, we. So the system we once a year usually around uh, September timeframe we we do like this this mini retreat in which we we plan the year ahead and look what we did about the year before very similar to, to like uh, to corp to the corporate version but it's an opportunity to say what it is you're trying to establish what are your goals at the at the annual level uh, and have you kept to that what can you change what can you learn uh, I think we all do that really well in the business setting. But as you're developing a consulting firm, in order to form a a startup later on, you have to do it in your in a in a personal
0: sense as well. Now, you've been a board member for lots of companies. Like, how, how do you kind of get into that inner circle where people think of you as a potential board member? Like, I think there's lots of great people uh, that have founded companies or are, you know have. Played very strategic roles in the success of companies that probably should be on boards. Yet, how do you even get started?
1: So, I think there are probably different ways to get started. Um, One is um, just to be helpful uh, as often, as infrequent as possible. to team members to people that reported to you to to others to take the time to have that breakfast to have a to have those drinks in the afternoon with somebody and genuinely be there to help and at some point uh, that transitions into hey can i spend more time with you uh, because you've given me advice that that resonates or that's helped me um, I found that natural evolution as one way to do it. Um, many people get to it in other ways as well, right? It's, it's the network, it's, it's uh, meeting with people, um, uh, developing and reaching out to have those breakfasts, to have those lunches, to have those dinners, um, to be in places where there's an opportunity to meet a lot of founders uh, and potential founders. Um, but, but it all comes down to at the end of the day, nobody's going to ask you to be on the board unless they know that you can be helpful. And the best way to know that you can be helpful beyond an introduction is spending time together and genuinely being helpful.
0: Now, when it comes to to hiring, like how do you evaluate talent, especially in the early, early days of a company, when you're just starting to bring in those first handful of employees that kind of create a foundation for a company's culture, like how, how, how do you go about that process? So um, we look at three things
1: predominantly. We look, one, at experience. Does the person we're hiring have, pre- at a startup, okay, uh, have experience in the area we're looking for? Because while we very much believe in the growth of people and every person on our team has, uh, is expected to continue to grow and we help that happen, they need to hit the ground running as well because we're a startup and we're looking for expertise and experience that they can bring in that space. The second is drive Uh, and drive is, is only a five letter word, but it encompasses for us a lot. It's it's the drive that you are committed to the team and to the mission of the company. It is the drive that you will uh, not stop until uh, the goals you set for yourself are achieved. And it is the back to what we discussed earlier, the, the confidence and the belief in yourself that you can solve really, really hard problems that nobody had solved before. And the third criteria is, is working together in a team. We, we have no patience over here for somebody that wants to do everything by themselves or think that they have all the right answers. Uh, we just don't subscribe to that model. Um, and and. Being able to listen to others to truly take in feedback to provide feedback to others uh, and to work together as a team to solve uh, is not something um,
0: that you come across uh, too frequently yeah it's definitely a it's definitely a challenge for for companies to figure that piece out so outside of outside of work what do you like to do
1: um, uh, outside of work, uh, I spend most of my time that I enjoy most with my family, uh, kids, and my wife. Uh, we uh, we enjoy uh, probably traveling uh, the most. Uh, the other one is running. So completed uh, three marathons to date, uh, and that I do with my buddies. Um, and. Taking a good book sitting on a beach
0: uh, is probably uh, probably the third uh, activity I would enjoy most. Sounds amazing. Well, Nitsan, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background and you know, kind of the, the history of, of mobile. I always love talking about you know, things that happened in the past and how things evolve. And of course, what you're up to with Wevo Conversion and uh, that new path that you're paving there. Keith, really appreciate the conversation. Thank you.